Alicia, welcome to the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Pleasure to have you on. I, I think you'll provide a fascinating perspective given that you cover much of the developments going on in the alts world from the institutional investor perspective at II. We'd love to, before we dive into that, hear a bit about your background and what you focus on at II and what excites you so much about the alt space. I have been with institutional investor for about five years now. I mainly cover asset owners these days. In addition to writing for our website, I write a newsletter called The Essential Allocator. Prior to getting into this, I was covering M&A, so a totally different world. Especially from the asset owner side, I think it's an interesting time to be writing about these people, how they're making decisions about investing. Even in the past couple of weeks and months, just with the changing market conditions, it's an interesting time to be an investor and an interesting time to be covering it. I think that's a great jumping off point here, and it's a question that's probably top of people's mind, is the fact that there's a lot of market volatility, who knows what's going to happen with rising interest rates, inflation, geopolitical risk. How have you seen that sentiment change or what are institutional investors and allocators thinking in today's current market environment? Because that may impact future LP commitments or future direct investment commitments. I see a real change maybe in the past month in terms of the way asset owners and investors are talking about what they're doing. Um, with inflation, with raising interest rates, with geopolitical risk back in the market for the first time in who knows how long. They're rethinking where they'll be putting the capital to work. I had one investor say to me, there really aren't many places to hide right now. It's hard to figure out what a good next move is, especially when there's so much uncertainty with like how the Russia-Ukraine conflict is going to play out. I've heard quite a bit. I think energy and oil is one place where these folks are reconsidering what they're doing. There's a rethinking there in terms of how they're going to tap back into the energy market if they are. Interesting. So do you think that some of these longer term trends like ESG and the way that investors are thinking about things potentially a little differently. Is that impacting how they might in the future think about something like investing into energy markets or oil, but they also have short term goals they need to meet from investors too. How are you seeing investors balance those two things? I think it's really tough. I talk with a lot of very long-term investors. They are able to say in a couple of years, maybe we will have made an energy shift, but we're not there yet. And you need to make money now too, especially to appease your board, that sort of thing. There's a real struggle there. And I think they're trying to figure out what that might look like, but there isn't a clear answer yet. One interesting theme that we've seen in the world of alts is really around the idea of funds thinking about new products or different ways to play in this market where private markets tend to last longer effectively. Private companies are staying private longer. Median time for a company to go public in the tech world is now about 12 years. In 1999, it was four years. You wrote an article back in January about GPs creating continuation fund or GP secondaries 
What's your thought on that? And what were some of the things you learned from both the GP and the LP side when exploring that world? Because it's a world we have to live in now as private companies stay private longer. But what are some of the positives and what are some of the downsides to, to that whole aspect of the market? That's a great question. If a privately held company is doing well, you want to hold on to that as an investment because you'll continue making returns. So there's an incentive there for both the GP and the LP. That being said, the creation of these continuation funds, LPs are having to make really quick decisions on whether or not to continue with a fund. And that's hard to do, especially when these LPs are often understaffed. They don't have all of the resources to make a decision in a week. And then you need to make sure fee alignment is there. And that's another complexity that adds to the situation. So what this really gets to is different ways in which the GP may think about their structure. Talked about this with some other guests today, since this was a really hot topic, which is the blending of public and private markets. We've seen this manifest itself in the way that Sequoia has now more recently structured its venture fund, where they have private markets funds, but then they've also actually created a holding company that effectively enables them to hold companies into public markets where they still may have strong conviction on the business, be able to realize returns, and their LPs are okay with that. We obviously have the crossovers, the tigers, et cetera, of the world. So how do you think that all plays into this idea of you know, blending of public and private markets and how both GPs and then also allocators and, and the way in which they want to allocate capital to various GP relationships. How are they all thinking about this? Great question. So as far as GPs go, I think they're recognizing that the markets have changed significantly, like you mentioned. But a traditional hedge fund, they still want to do the work that they can do, but there are far fewer public companies to be able to invest in. And they're are very worthwhile private companies that could and should be putting capital to work in. From an allocator perspective, this is a hot debate. It's hard to know what the right answer is. Some say, I need to keep my public and my private separate. I need to have those in different buckets of my asset allocation, that sort of thing. Others say it doesn't really matter, whatever. As long as I'm getting value, I don't really care what the category is. Interesting. I mean, I think this also speaks to another trend, which has been talked about a lot today, which is the death of the 60-40 portfolio. The idea that the portfolio of the future is going to look a lot different than it did in the past, where there's obviously this difference in the way in which people look at public and private markets. There's a difference in the way people look at returns and risk exposures. So from the conversations you've had, and I think you wrote an article about this yesterday, actually, uh, and talking to Kaya and others, what's your take on the portfolio of the future? And how do you think portfolio will look going forward? I think a lot more privates, a lot more alternatives, as Kaya's recognized what Mark had to say about the beta continuum and treating even something like a crypto index as beta was really interesting. And I think that change in the way of viewing the portfolio will be pretty effective for investors who want both passive exposure and to actively invest in alternatives and privately held companies. The other thing is Ashby Monk's, you know, focus on the operational alpha or edge in terms of playing to your strengths as an institution, I think we'll see more of that. For a while, folks have been trying to emulate the endowment model. Going beyond that, taking the next step and recognizing, hey, as a public pension fund based in somewhere like 
San Jose, we might not have the same resources, but we do have that location or the ability to tap into our local venture structure, for example. Are there certain aspects of alternative assets that you think will be more interesting to allocators and investors? Certain types of assets, will it be the more traditional alts, so private equity funds, uh, startups, or venture funds, or will it be things like sports cards and collectibles and crypto and NFTs? What does an institutional investor's portfolio look like in the future? Does it include some of those more esoteric, as I call them, alt-alt assets? Absolutely. And I think obviously it depends on the type of institution. For some, it's easier to bring that in right now versus others. But investing in private equity, private credit has become par for the course, bread and butter for these organizations. Now they are looking for different ways to find yield. That might be litigation, finance, music royalties, like you said, NFTs, other types of digital assets. We're hearing a lot about boards are a little bit slow to move on them, which is totally reasonable. They need to assess the risk reward profile. In the next couple of years, I do see more of that coming. So you mentioned boards, investment committees, particularly at institutions, may be slower to move. And by the way, totally understandable. They are fiduciaries. They need to make sure that that market is mature enough in order for them to invest. Just to put things in context, there were, I think, 74 crypto funds, private crypto funds, either liquid or illiquid crypto strategy funds back in 2017. That's a very small pool for institutions to allocate to. It's no surprise that fast forward to 2022, much more likely for an institution to allocate to a multi billion dollar paradigm fund or Andreessen fund or Katie Hahn fund. That all makes sense. What do you think it's going to take from an educational perspective to continue to educate the institutional investor about the merits of some of these alternative assets or alternative alternative assets? Probably the biggest thing is going to be time. They need to have some time to really see how this market performs, understand that it's really volatile, and accept that that small fraction of the portfolio is going to be in something that isn't just like a bond or something like that. Well, you mentioned something like bonds which are generally more liquid instruments relative to some alternative assets. Liquidity is another theme that has been talked about often here. And what's your view on that? And how important is liquidity when you think about portfolio of the future, how allocators are thinking about both alts and, and non-alts investments for them? Most investors have recognized that if they're going to be in alts, there's probably going to be some liquidity. And because of that, they can consider the fund structure some especially with really long investment mandates they can get into an evergreen fund and tap into a structure that might be more lucrative even if there is less liquidity in the near term but they have to balance the need for some cash holdings to meet whatever type of spend rate they need to use over the year or so on means they can't be totally locked up in all illiquid assets but i do see them adding more as time goes by on that point of investments, I, I always ask every guest to wrap up an Alt Goes Mainstream podcast what their favorite or most interesting alternative investment is. You've seen a lot, you've talked to a lot of people. What's your favorite or most interesting alternative investment? I'm working on a story about this right now, so I guess you're getting a little preview. I'm getting really hyped on fisheries. I think it's such an interesting untapped market. There's an ESG element. If you keep more fish alive, treat the ocean well, then you'll make a higher profit. It's something that one could argue hedges a bit against inflation. You see that in agriculture a bit. And I think too, it's just like this weird untapped place, like an Ontario pension fund has gotten in there. 
Bain had an investment that dealt with some issues in fisheries, but I, I think there's a really interesting opportunity there, and I'm into exploring it right now. That's fascinating. It's it's interesting. There have been increasing number of venture-backed companies, one in Indonesia, I believe, that's SoftBank actually backed, I think, that is focused on building a, a fishery business. And that's a fascinating find on your part because it does feel like the elements of ESG plus the ability to generate returns. I think we've reached the point, you've probably covered impact investing numerous times as well. We've reached the point where whether it's climate Chris Saka's lowercase fund, BlackRock has even said they want to be in the climate space uh, because it's not only good for the planet, but it's good for investors' returns. And we've reached a point where doing good and doing well can intersect. Yeah, it's really great to see, and I'm excited about writing about this. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. So great work, all the work that you do at, at Institutional Investor. Thanks so much for coming on the Alco's Mainstream Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Stigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going mainstream.